I'm Bernie Dotson and this is Gallup News. Today we're talking with area educators about education, the discipline itself, and the impact corona, the coronavirus has had on education. Let's start with introductions. Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Elmer Guy. I'm president of Naval Technical University. Hello, my name is James Malm, uh, doctor of management, professor of business, and chancellor at the University of New Mexico Gallup. Welcome. As I mentioned, in an educational sense, we, we meaning everyone who's a part of education, we're in uncharted waters. The coronavirus has disrupted routines, forced colleges and universities to make changes, adjustments, and so forth. Like no one really has seen before. And we don't know if they're going to be permanent, temporary, or what have you. Dr. Guy, what was your reaction at finding out about the coronavirus and how serious it was? And what are some of the things that Navajo Technical University did to stay ahead of the virus and education itself? Thank you, uh, Bernie. Um, <clears throat> when we first learned about the, uh, the COVID-19, it was uh, during um, our spring break when it really hit Navajo. We're talking 2020. In right? 2020. <clears throat> and um, so we extended our spring break another week to allow our faculty to um, switch courses so that they would provide those online. And um, we also needed to contact our students to let them know that they're not going to be back on campus for the remainder of the semester. So this was in March 2020. And then they, um, we had a hard time uh, contacting some of them. And then we trained uh, faculty members who are new to um, providing online education. And so we really had to um, uh, finish out the semester in a different way uh, than uh, how we proceeded uh, earlier. Right. And that must have been a big task, uh, the uncertainty of what the virus was, the fact that you had to tell the student body, administrative body, something, and you were uncertain about that. Uh, behind that is there's some responsibility that the institution has for the well-being of students. Was that a smooth process, rocky at times? How did that unfold? It seems um, there's two, two approaches. One is to make sure everyone is safe, that um, we, we instituted certain protocols that we never had before. Health protocols, you're talking about. Yeah, uh, where we did, uh, we had to work out 
arrangements with Indian Health Services and Depart State Department of Health for COVID testing, for example. And then we um, made sure that uh, we were educating ourselves and we we're educating our staff and students at the same time, where we had to uh, wear a mask and so you know to social distance and you know wash hands. And so we had to hire a person that would do the training uh, for all of us. And then uh, we were also reaching out to students. We were trying to um, help them stay in school. So uh, we provided um, Wi-Fi's to them, uh, set up hotspots. Do you call those loaner or free? We uh, uh, machine. It's a combination. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then we we expanded our hotspot area. Uh, to where they were coming on campus, uh, mainly in our parking lots, where they would uh, access um, uh, internet connectivity. And then we reached out to other universities because they had students on Navajo, and we had a map of all the hotspot area. And then we uh, worked with the Navajo Tribal Utility Authority, and they provided hotspots. And so it was, a, you know, more just not the university itself, but we were reaching out to community right. providers. And, and that sounds like, I'm sure it was a big chore, but there really was no alternative. You had to keep the machine running. You had to keep the college running. You had to keep people engaged in, in the process of education and so forth. Right. So there really was not an alternative. Dr. Mel. What adjustments took place at UNM Gallup? Have you ever seen anything like this before? And Bernie, so forth. Bernie, it was kind of classic crisis management, emergency management. Um, we do have teams that think about uh, crises, how we would respond. We've even done uh, tabletop exercises and uh, when I teach uh, graduate students in business school, we use uh, case studies, case study approach. And when I look at our coronavirus management uh, case study as a case study, um, wow, it's been about 625 days. I can take out my phone and ask Google how many days since March 20th, 2020. And it's about 625 days. We were on spring break. We knew it was getting bad. We knew coronavirus was coming. And uh, we reacted to it by saying, you know what? Let's just go an extra week for spring break, maybe two, and we'll get back to normal. And it did not happen that way. It was safety first, of course. And for everyone. And yeah. we took... Uh, we really took direction from the governor's office. The governor's office said, this is what we need to do as New Mexicans. Now, UNM Gallup is part um, of, of a very large university system with half a dozen locations. One of those locations is uh, a medical school and, uh, and, and level one hospital. So we had a lot of internal experts around the table uh, talking every day. How are we going to pe keep everyone safe? 
in a very uncertain environment, in a very dangerous environment. For both of you, was closure ever an option? Did that ever come up in conversation? I mean, did it ever occur to anybody that, hey, we may need to shut down because this is that serious for X amount of days or weeks or so forth? Was closure ever something that figured into the whole scheme of things? No. The only closure we had is our child care services, but otherwise everything stayed open at a certain percentage, or residential, you know, at 50% and so forth. Both of you, have any of you ever seen anything like this in all of your years of learning as a student, administrator, or so forth? I mean, this is, you use the word crises, James. I, 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 and I agree, that's an appropriate word, but this seems like it's beyond crises. And the smartest of the smart are dumbfounded as to how to go about getting rid of this coronavirus. Bernie, uh, 20 years ago, 2001, I was uh, chief administrative officer for the community colleges of Baltimore County. And 9-11 uh, happened. Um, the Pentagon was just down the highway. It was an emergency that came from absolutely nowhere. And I remember, this is East Coast time, the planes were hitting at 8, 9, 10 o'clock in the morning. And we evacuated uh, the campus. Um, originally, we evacuated because we didn't know if more planes were going to be coming in. And we were in or a fight. What else was going to happen? Correct. And so forth. Totally uncertain. Uh, and... We kept our campus closed for the rest of the week. Um, it happened on a Tuesday morning, and we stayed closed through Friday. And the additional campus closures, we were concerned about um, our student population who um, had uh, Muslim profiles, that we, our students might actually be at risk from other students and other community members. We said, everybody just go home and sit tight. Then you'll remember the anthrax scare, right? Then the anthrax hit, people were dying. And I remember Tom Ridge was Secretary of Homeland Security, or he was going to be Secretary of Homeland Security. And they said everybody- Which was a newly created department yes. at that time. And they said, go down to Home Depot and buy three millimeter plastic and get ready to seal off a room because we believe they're going to be biological attacks. So this was, you, you, this was death from, you had no idea when, where. Really scary. We shut down. And then we went to war. So there, there was quite the period that we went through. And, and I remember the emergency planning at my college. Um, it came through our IIT department. Um, we were right in the flight path of one of the major uh, airports, Baltimore, Washington. And uh, we were so close to the airport that the wheels actually came down on the jets and it became very loud. And every 90 seconds, um, a plane would fly over. And we said, what if a plane would crash into a major campus building that had all of our servers and all of our IT? How could we continue operations 
without our student information systems, without the internet, without any of our files and, and databases. If something yes. further so happened, and, right? and it was. It was a plane crash, you know, kind of incinerating a couple buildings on campus, and the planning was how could we continue to function as um, a college? Um, if you know certain big chunks of our operations um, were taken out, so so you had your share of uncertain experiences amongst a large institution and so forth. Deadly, deadly consequences. Elmer, ever seen anything like this in your student or administrative life? No, no, I haven't. Not not, not something this severe. No. Has it impacted enrollment at both of your institutions? And do you consider uh, this enrollment, I'm assuming it's been a decline to some degree. What do you do to remedy that? What do you do to put people at ease? How do you maintain enrollment and employment? I mean, without laying people off and so forth. Has this impacted enrollment, and to what extent has it impacted employment and so forth? Uh, yes, it did, um, Bernie. Um, <clears throat> I guess fall 2020, what we did was um, we shortened a semester. We started a little early, and by Thanksgiving, um, we're, we were done uh, so that when students go home for Thanksgiving, we don't want them to come back and uh, spread the virus if they were able to get exposed. Uh, but that in, hurt in, our... In, in your case, it's sort of magnified because, as it turned out, the Navajo Nation was one of the areas in the U.S. with a high case count. Right, right. So it was important for everyone on the yeah. Navajo Nation to take extreme precautions like closing for Thanksgiving and so right. forth in spite of the fact that it impacted enrol uh, enrollment probably for the next semester and employment to some degree. Right. And so with the, um, with a shortened semester, um, usually students will um, enroll. Um, some will start a little bit late, you know, when the when registration of uh, the school starts, when classes start, they'll start like a week later. But in this case, they couldn't. We, we just started early. And so that probably um, contributed to um, losing students that semester. And we switched to quite a few online programs. Right, and, and you mentioned alongside the online courses there were loaner laptops right i'm thinking probably a tuition reduction or some right. kind of tuition yes we, we incentive did, we, yeah we did uh, 50 percent of that and then we ran a um what we call a homework express uh, since we were not um transporting students the transportation department um Designated uh, a certain path. Yeah, to I get it. homework express. I mean, yeah, homework express. To work is very, okay. Yeah, right. so they they would uh, deliver homework to students at certain locations, 
and drop them off, and then they'll pick them up on a, on a schedule, especially those students who don't have access to Internet. Um, even though, uh, and then we gave them uh, gas carts to... Yeah. Let, let, let's talk about that access to Internet component. Broadband is a problem throughout the Navajo Nation. And how does somebody succeed in a scenario like that? You're giving them loaner laptops so that they, they can get through their schoolwork, but some areas are without access, wireless access and so forth. How do you remedy that? I mean, what, what do you do? Somewhere along the line, someone's got to put in the apparatus so that every single community on the Navajo Nation in this case has internet access and so forth. How do you get around somebody not having internet reception and so forth, in spite of the fact that they have a loaner laptop and all that? We, um, our IT department um, know where all the um, connectivities are. So if a student will just um, share with, with us their location and we know where the nearest um, hotspot is, or uh, some of them would, you know, have, they have to climb a hill to to have that to access that. Um, and so some of them um, they have to drive to a hotspot area, and then we would give them a gas card so they could buy gas and then you know get to that place. But some literally they don't have connectivity. Still, no, you know, we, you know, you have, you know, on Navajo, you have a cellular one or NTUA or Sacred Wind, you know. Some of them don't service certain areas. It just does not exist. That's the obvious question that a lot of people have. Then how do you get service to those areas that don't have it? I mean, is it just a simple point of going to a politician and saying, hey, we, we don't have access here? I mean, how do you remedy the access problem, which looks like it's going to be p paramount going forward in these uncharted waters. I mean, if you don't have access, then you got to drive hundreds of miles for access. How do you get around that? I mean, how do you it's, get it to the point where there is access where there isn't? Yeah, it's a real challenge. So we have to... Um work with other higher education institutions like the Ney College, you know, they would, and, and e even on our campus, uh, any student, uh, you know, if they go to UNM or NAU, they're welcome to uh, on campus, on our campus, so they can have access to um, the internet. James, did you have the same challenges here? Lack of broadband, loaner laptops, tuition reduction, so forth and so forth. Here. Helping, mm, helping students, of course, of in course. what you're right, in whatever capacity you could help them, given maybe they didn't have something that they needed, so forth and so forth. Well, broadband access certainly was was a key factor in uh, maintaining operations during COVID. Um, here at the university, uh, we have some of the fastest, most robust uh, broadband here on campus. Uh, running big networks, uh, but many of our students uh, come uh, from outside of town where they don't have access. 
We partnered with Gallup McKinley County Schools. They have 33 campuses. Every single one of their campuses had um, broadband hotspot access. So um, we made arrangements with the school district that we would essentially recognize each other's credentials, right? So if you had a at unm.edu um, sign-on um, that you would be allowed to go to any one of those 33 campuses in this 5,000 square mile county and be able to get the hotspot and any of those students also if they came here uh, to our campus at UNM right. Gallup. So there was a switch to online courses at UNM Gallup for some courses or? 100% all okay. of our courses. We use because there's stuff like things like biology labs and science labs and so forth. There were way so every uh, we we do about 500 course sections each term, and every single course section, even if it uh, has to be face to face, let's say welding uh, or nursing, if there are hands-on components, they're still set up as an online class on our Canvas uh, student. Um, uh, learning management system. This is how students get their grades, this is how they get uh, their their syllabi, this is how they upload their papers. That's different than actually teaching online. So we have all the infrastructure in place. So, um, and we can communicate with students. Every student gets um, a required unm.edu email address. And we can communicate with all personnel, all students by the thousands and told them, stay at home, get into your online classroom, and you will receive electronic, live, real-time instructions from your faculty on how you will continue and get through um, to the end of the semester. Now, some of our classes are... We're talking fall 2020 at this point. Right? Uh, no, this is at when the crisis first started, right. right, when we had to make the shift. Spring 2020 almost. Now, once we got to, that was spring 2020. Right. Now, once we got to fall and once we got to spring 2020, which were 100% um, online, um, we were able to set expectations when the students enrolled before they came to class. The crisis of March 2020 was we had to do a, a change-up. We started face-to-face -face like nothing was wrong, and then the crisis hit, and we had to, we called it a pivot. We pivoted out of the classroom into online, but then the next two semesters, we started online. There was no pivot. Right. Did your enrollment dwindle? Did it go down? Did it decrease? What impact did it have on enrollment and so forth? Enrollment went down. Um, all of us, uh, every college and university in the United States, reports to the National Clearinghouse on certain data sets. And the National Clearinghouse reported that community college enrollments were the hardest hit of all the industry segments, right? You get research universities, graduate schools, um, baccalaureate degree granting institutions, and then you get us, the two-year Associate why is grant. that? Why, why, Elmer, why is it that community colleges, two-year schools, were hit the hardest? Is it because most people, I, I, I want to say, these are not conventional students for the most part, meaning they work, they have some outside, maybe an outside responsibility or something. Two-year colleges 
were hit the hardest in terms of enrollment. Why is that? Is it because so-and-so had an outside job? So-and-so had problems with childcare. So-and-so had problems with transport. Why is it community colleges were the ones seemingly hit the hardest? I think um, community colleges and rural communities are probably the ones that uh, suffered the most because of um, lack of broadband, lack of connectivity. And um, the and, other, and you think that that may have I, been a detriment. I think that, con, you know, for us, that was one of the one of the things that we saw in our in our enrollment uh, dropping. And the other is that um, we provide um, housing, residential uh, housing for students, and a lot of the students that would be on campus are from those communities that don't have connectivity. So then we, we lost students because that we, we had to cap at 50% of our, um, of our students that stayed in the dorm. Uh, we were only able to um, take 50% of them. And we, uh, we normally would have two students to a room, but we, we had to make it one room, one person per room. And then we shut down our um, childcare because you know, those kids are not tested, and we wouldn't want to, uh, you know, take there, the risk. There was a risk factor. Yeah, right. So, so can we finitely say that we're moving, at least your two institutions, we're moving very fast toward online education. Is that right? Okay. Right. We have nine programs um, that we offer online. So we're, we're not even thinking conventional education anymore. We're thinking about how can we get this online and streamed to whoever wants to see it and needs it and so forth. Is that right? Well, you know, we were planning um, our first online degree in business and uh, we just got that approved by the Higher Learning Commission when the COVID hit. And it was not by design, but we were just wanting uh, to do that online. Because, you know, we were full on campus. You know, our student housing is completely full. And so that's why we were looking at online programs. But not all students want online education. Many still like face-to-face especially with some of the trades some of the, you know we have to have that with our biology chemistry labs a lot of it um students learn better with their hands-on approach right face-to-face and so right. forth james are we moving or are we even past conventional face-to-face education are we in the online realm that it doesn't look like we're gonna shake for a long time no Bernie, what what we did during COVID is what our accreditors called emergency distance learning. What we did was not what uh, the industry calls online learning. Uh, We were still doing synchronous, real-time instruction. Um, Wait, what does that mean? So real-time instruction. I mean, we're, we're, we're students are still learning. It, it. Let me let me describe what online learning is. All right. 
uh, what our accreditors and what higher education has uh, come to say what online learning is. It's asynchronous, um, that the students don't have to be in class at the same time. The instructor doesn't have to be in the online classroom at the same time. You do it asynchronously. And it costs a lot of money to create one online course. Um, right, it's just not a matter of logging on and going for it. There's right. a lot of stuff behind it that needs to take place. And, uh, and we did about 20% of that before COVID. Now in this semester that uh, we are face-to-face -face again, we're doing about 30%, and that percentage will not continue to increase. Look at the trends of the big, giant universities that got into online learning. 15 years ago, um, these schools weren't doing it. To the north, Colorado State University Global Campus, 20,000 students. Online learning? Online. Uh, this is asynchronous pure play. To our west, Arizona State University, World Campus, they have 50,000 students. Purdue Global in Indiana, University of Southern New Hampshire, 100,000 students, pure play online. They do it so, very well. So you, you could conclude what from that? meaning large schools have huge... Those, those five schools are probably doing 50% of all of what we would call online learning. Very fierce competition. And our students can go and take online from the best of the best. Our comparative advantage to those schools were location-based. Our students want the campus experience. They will use online courses. Right, which is just filled. as instrumental in learning and in educating yourself as something else is. I mean, sitting next to somebody from wherever they're from is a learning experience, and you don't get that taking a course online and so forth. Same thing with the instructor. The instructor is from Egypt. That's different from you know, having the same Egyptian instructor online as opposed to in person. And so meaning there's something you get in person that you do not get online. You we, agree? We call it the student experience that you can learn the fundamental theorem of algebra for free on your phone, watching YouTube or going to the Khan Academy, right? Um, a fundamental theorem of algebra, it's 200 years old. Every complex polynomial has two roots. Given a, a number, what are the two roots? Well, we have a college algebra course, and we spend 15 or 16 weeks teaching thousands of students every year the fundamental theorem of algebra. In person, you're talking about? Yes. So this, this is a heady concept of, you know, it's not just the knowledge and the facts in our subjects that our students are learning. Um, they're learning to be citizens. They're learning to be critical thinkers. They're learning to be um, productive, uh, fruitful members of society. And it's different, the student experience, when you're on campus. Would both of you agree 
that because of the coronavirus and because we don't know a whole lot about it, we're, we are uncertain and so forth about when it will end. Do you agree that we're losing people? We're losing people through or in the educational and professional pipelines. That means a decline in enrollment means a decline in students and the number of people we have attending institutions. And I'm not just talking about Navajo Tech and UNM. I'm talking about across the board, Harvard, Yale, and so forth. The coronavirus has set back the amount of people who otherwise would be attending colleges and universities everywhere. And therefore, the other side of that is the schools aren't graduating as many people as they were prior to the coronavirus. You agree with that premise, James? Come on. Yes, um, it's not just the, the enrollment where there's a setback. Um, we get a lot of students from our area schools. and um, High schools, you're talking high about? High schools, and uh, they're already um, not at a level where they should be when they graduate. And so um, with this pandemic now, well, well, explain. Uh, that. It, I think explain. they're you said further. Not, not at a level. What not at a that? level, meaning uh, when we test them um, to uh, put them in the right classes. Uh, usually, they're not at a level where they should be in math, in science, in writing, and so we would put them into developmental study Remedial. classes. Mm -hmm and um, at least for a semester or so. And so um, what we've been doing is we've been offering those developmental studies to high school students for free during the summer times. And so that they would be ready when they, um, when, you know, when fall semester begins. And but um, in uh, 2020, um, some of the high schools, they extended their semesters and uh, so because we, we didn't. The, we were not able. To, yeah, and we're not able to uh, offer that to some of the students that would have benefited from that. And so um, we're. Um, and then what you know what will happen would be that if they're further behind, then they need to catch up. And so we're trying to look at ways of helping those students to try to catch them up. Um, and so that's um, part of the challenge. And um, I, I guess in the long run, in the big picture, says we're losing when it comes to the numbers game. We're losing students. And therefore, we're losing professionals. You agree with that? In greater number than what we were, education generally, before the coronavirus. Is there a loss of students taking place? Yes, there there is. Um, I think um, that can't be good. Some of the I mean, students that, that, that can't be good for anybody, right? And some of the students are afraid to come to campus, and um, 
And so they uh, they stay home, or I don't know where they go. Um, but those that don't have connectivity, um, they're the ones I think are really in the, are being challenged even right. more. Um, but some of them are um, taking classes part time, uh, which is uh, which is good. Uh, the the students the, where we lost uh, quite a bit are are dual uh, enrollment students <coughs> at the high school. We saw a drop there because I think the high schools were trying to figure out how to uh, deliver their courses, and so we we kind of saw a, a little drop in at, at that level. But then they they picked up this year. They they picked back up. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's just, uh, and then, you know, many of the students, uh, they take um, SAT, for example, and that um, has been delayed. Mm-hmm. And uh, they did that, um, the college board did that um, uh, a year ago, all at the same time. That's the college admissions. Yeah. Test. So a lot of these uh, schools will look at that uh, to uh, get students and. Right, and so that was a challenge as well. James, are we losing students? Has the coronavirus forced people to cut back on numbers and so forth for whatever reason? And if we're losing students, we got less engineers, we got less doctors, and so forth. Is that right? Let let me separate those two. We are entering a demographic trough what the demographers call a demographic trough. We know with absolute scientific certainty exactly how many people were born 18 years ago, right? These are government records. We know how many people were born 18 years ago. So we can project, 18 years ago, we were able to project how many 18-year-olds there would be with us now, right? There's some mortality there, so you don't get 100%. And the demographers are saying we are entering a period where fewer students are going to be turning 18 for the next five years than uh, we're turning 18 for the previous five years. So, yes, there are fewer eligible 18-year-olds college uh, who are, would be going to college. The last time this happened was in uh, the mid-1990s. We hit a demographic trough. It's not steep. In the 1990s, we had about 2 million students graduating from high school every year. Now, we have about 3 million students graduating from high school every year, 25 years later. When you look at the mid-1990s, turn back the clock 18 years, what was happening? The Vietnam War. That was uh, a lot of social distancing was happening between our young people um, at that time, and fewer babies were born compared to 10 years before. Wait a minute. Well, I'm trying to decipher. <laughs> this is a very technical conversation. Well, so, no, 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 no. Vietnam War and social distancing, you use that in the same sentence. I'm trying to put those together. Uh, you had a million men who were uh, 10,000 miles away from the uh, women who would be in the United right. States. Okay. So it, it, in a way, it, 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 there's, there's some, it's not the social distance we're thinking about with corona. Now, um, look at a couple of years from now when we go back into a demographic trough. And this means instead of having 
3 million students graduate, we might have 2.8 million students graduating, 2.7 million. So comparatively, there will be uh, some hundreds of thousands less than in the past. But what happened 18 years ago, 2008, the Great Recession, Bank of America, Chase, Wells Fargo, in one day, fired 50,000 employees during the Great Recession. Again, people weren't um, creating life and creating babies the same way they were um, a, a few years earlier. So, yes, there are fewer students who are going to be available to come into college, and that has nothing to do with COVID. Right, COVID but, is mm, another conversation. Mm, along those same lines, fewer students means fewer courses, right? No. Meaning, well... If you don't have 1,000 students and instead you got 500, you can't offer the same amount of courses as you typically would, right? We're still going to offer algebra. We're still going to offer calculus. We're still going to offer basic biology, chemistry. We won't have as many seats or sections, but the courses that you offer don't change, but the uh, amount of cyclists. Now, you mentioned a 50% enrollment decline is, right. is, is what you said. We're not looking at anything that steep. It's 15%, and our enrollments have been going up and down for even, the last even, 10 mm -hmm, years. Mm -hmm. Elmer, it's more of an extreme case in your situation with the need for remedial courses and so forth. Has the course load, course offerings decreased? Have the course offerings decreased? Are there less courses being offered now than before? I think there are... Because of the fact that there are less students. Yeah, it might be the courses are still being offered, but then not as many students in, in that class. But we're still building or expanding our course offering. We're adding a bachelor's degree in accounting, for example, a bachelor's degree in computer science, and bachelor's degree in chemistry. So we're continuing to, to grow the university uh, because these are areas that we know the, the Navajo Nation and the other states need people in these areas. So um, we're still moving, even though there, there might be a drop in enrollment, we're still growing courses here's a scenario we've got incentives loaner laptops we got in some instances free child care transportation and so forth but enrollment is still not going through the roof meaning you're giving an incentive of this and even at some places I've seen where um, if you get a 2.0 fall semester, then spring, you don't have to pay tuition at all. I is that what we're coming to? That kind of incentive? And even if there's a scenario where people, you know, take advantage of that, the numbers still are not that high. So there's a challenge of enrollment somewhere along the line maybe the coronavirus put a light on it 
I also read in the higher uh, education uh, bulletin that community colleges were experiencing enrollment problems a long time before the coronavirus. So with these incentives, it's not a lot of students really taking advantage of them, which means you're not doubling or tripling your enrollment, even with loaner laptops, tuition reduction, child care incentives, and so forth. Is that the way it is, Elmer? At least at Navajo Tech. Yeah, some some of it. Uh, we we did a reduction on the tuition and fees. We have no child care um, services, um, and uh, we don't have. Um, if they have a GPA of 2.0 and there's no tuition, we don't have that. Um, we we have to be careful, I think, because you can't really make it a free. Uh, because you um, you still need to pay salaries for faculty. Well, it's still sort of, there's it, it's still sort operational. Of, yeah. Yeah. I understand what you're saying. There's it sort of is costs. free, isn't it? I mm. mean, if you're giving somebody a loaner laptop, tuition reduction, and putting an incentive out to come to campus next semester, completely free of charge. No, it's not. It's not completely free. Um, there's uh, still fees that they pay. Right. Um, the only, I think, the only reason why uh, we're able to do that is because we got CARES funding that allow us uh, to do some of those things. It's very specific that you have to help students during this 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 time. And so, when those funding go away, there will still be fees to be paid. And you don't want to make uh, students too comfortable to where they they uh, feel like they don't have to pay anything. Uh, right. they, they will have to end up paying. Or, or work that hard academically. Yeah, so you have to be, be careful, you know. James, is that the situation now? Incentives, tuition reduction, loaner laptops, and so forth. But we're, we're not seeing it reflected in incre high increases of enrollment which makes anybody think, what's the goal here? If I'm giving 100 laptops to 100 students and reducing tuition by 50%, but I still don't have two or three times the number of people coming in, what happens in that kind of scenario? What's wrong or right with that scenario? It, it might lead some observers to come to the conclusion that Maybe it's not money that is preventing students from coming to college. Uh, here um, at um, the Branch Community College, University of Mexico, our tuition is, is probably 15 to 20 percent of what it costs to educate a student. Um, we get uh, substantial funding from the state. We get substantial funding from the county property taxpayers, and uh, that student tuition is is mostly coming in uh, as as federal grants. Uh, which which means, grants. yeah, can we say those incentives are funded by ta by public funds by taxpayer funds? Is that right? Yeah, and we've been doing that for fifty years. That there's a, a massive public support 
of our institutions as as pillars and as core of uh, for the social fabric, and uh, we have been uh, generously uh, supported by public entities, which further reduces the burden on students. In the United States, anyone making a family income under $27,000 a year gets the full Pell Grant. Pell Grants are approaching $7,000 a year. Do the math. Our tuition here is uh, $70 a credit hour, 12 credits is full time. Our tuition to get a university education is $2,000. Anyone making less than $27,000 will actually get paid, actually get paid to come to college. $2,000 to cover tuition, they have $5,000 um, in, in cash for living expenses and to buy laptops and to buy hotspots. And, and, and in, in this case, and I don't know if it's happening at UNM Gallup, they're loaner laptops and all kinds of other stuff. So would you say it's, it's free education? Is that what it is? The governor um, has announced, uh, the LFC, our Legislative Finance Committee, they're putting together the budget for the session that's going to start next month. And um, New Mexico's governor has, for the past several years, said she wants free community college in the state. There are about a dozen states that um, have... That, that applies to the Navajo Nation school also, schools also. Is that right? Meaning free tuition would apply to NTU. You're in Crown Point, New Mexico. Or do we do we know that for sure? Or does the Navajo Nation have a, a say in that or what? Yeah, I, you know, if you look at some of these um, community colleges that offer a free um, college for two years, they basically um, look at Pell Grant to pay most of that, and then if they're not Pell eligible, and then they, you know, somebody's got to pay. And so we, a lot of our students are Pell eligible, but there's um, a limit on how many semesters you you get that award for. So um, some of our students they run out of their uh, twelve semester awards when they become seniors, about ready to graduate from with their bachelor's degree. And so um, then we have to find other means to help them uh, finish. And you know, these are students that may have started elsewhere. They use up part of their Pell, and then they, they come over to NTU, and then they only have so many uh, semesters to work with. Right. James, this is not a normal situation when it comes to education. What's going to put this back to normal? What, what, what's going to get it back to face-to-face, in-person classes? What's going to get enrollment where it should be? What's going to put this whole thing back to normal again? We started in August. August 2nd, um, we told all staff, all employees, all faculty, come back to campus. The doors are open. We're going to have lots of safety protocols. And then we told our students, come back to campus. We didn't say COVID is over, but we pivoted out of the emergency distance learning 
on August 2nd. So we're here on campus. We're here every day. Our classrooms are full. But we didn't get an enrollment increase this semester. We were hoping for it. We based, said Based on what you think, primarily? Was it sense, hes hesitancy in terms of, oh, I, I may contract the virus? There Was it just outside responsibilities, family, and so forth? There is student sentiment that, you know, wow, um, it, COVID isn't over yet. Um, what if we start in August and we have to pivot back out into the classroom, right? There was still uncertainty. Remember, we were getting into the Delta variant. So now, looking back, um, we do have certainty. Um, we are vaccinated. We do have um, lots of protocols to, uh, you know, try to guarantee health and safety as much as scientifically possible. So the enrollment numbers I received this morning, every Monday morning, we get an enrollment report. Our enrollments are up 25% over same time last year. That is huge, considering during the coronavirus uh, and during our shutdowns when we were operating remotely, we had lost 15% um, you know, and then 10%. And now we're looking at a 25% increase. You could project that out and say, we might get back to some semblance of normal if the enrollment trends that we're experiencing now, because we, we open up enrollment in November, right? If we give our students two months to select their courses, you start in January. Right. Are these online courses we're talking about? No, the no. Increasing or both? Of both. Or one of the, okay. Both. Both. And we're running, as I said, we run about 30% uh, online asynchronous and 70% face-to-face three dimension. Elmer? Getting back to normal probably take a while. Um, We've mandated uh, that all staff be vaccinated on campus. So 98% of our staff and faculty have been vaccinated and 95% of our students are vaccinated. I think that will help. At least um, there are some breakthroughs with the, with the variant and um, hopefully with the, with the booster, the third shot, uh, that will help uh, people, and then uh, so, so, so you've, that, that's mm -hmm. you've seen enrollment stay steady with online enrollment as well as face to face or um, or both with so what we're you know what we're also doing is reaching out to the Navajo Nation to help um, plan out the broadband infrastructure. They submitted a fifty million dollar. Um, grant application that we provided GIS data to them. The GIS data basically um, covers the whole uh, Navajo Nation, a map, if you will, where, where there's no connectivity in certain communities, hoping that the, uh, the, uh, the grant application that was submitted will focus on those communities that don't have connectivity. And then the uh, and the uh, the other thing that we're working on is um, an edurome. Edurome basically is um, uh, a, an ability 
for us to um, uh, al allow any student from anywhere, if, they're, if they are on our campus, they will access their university's um, uh, campus uh, network. And uh, so if our student is down at ASU or wherever, then they'll have access at NAU, uh, NTU as well. And so that we're so kind of looking at you know at the broadband issue, and we were able to get this uh, special temporary authority from the Federal Communications uh, Company, where it provided us a EBS uh, 2.5 gigahertz uh, of spectrum, and that's a little bit faster than a, a typical hotspot. It's a little bit more powerful, so we were able to um, hook up some of our students and our faculty provide that um, we, we specialize in wireless technology so we um, work with that to connect uh, homes of, of staff and and students and so you know we're growing uh, trying to come up with um, different ways to um, to uh, I, I guess address this um, pandemic um, because we know that um, the broadband is something that this really needing attention, serious attention on Navajo. Being th that it's not a normal situation, it can sometimes make l the learning process different or even difficult for a student, particularly a student who's not equipped for college and so forth. Are you seeing an increase in majors or people studying things or taking courses in, say, public health, biology, and so forth? Has there been increased demand for courses like that, programs like that, that you've seen since the beginning of the pandemic? No, it's not a one-to-one. -one. I, I would... I'd project that a trend like that would you would need more time to to, to see a trend. We're, we are the first semester out of emergency distance learning. Now our um, allied health programs, particularly our uh, registered nursing, it, it's it's really our flagship program. Um, these are jobs, two year degree, traveling nurses, ninety thousand dollars a year. $45 an hour, and they can get a job instantly anywhere with a university um, RN license credential. And we only have a certain number of seats that we can have in a nursing program because... Each year or each, each, each semester? Year, each, okay. each semester, right? Mm -hmm. You get cohorts. And let's say you have 25 uh, students um, in a semester cohort. We have 500 students taking um, science, technology, engineering, and math courses to become eligible for these highly competitive uh, slots. So there is a lot of major traffic in, uh, in, in our health programs, but that has not changed uh, because of COVID. The external environment, the employers who are looking to hire nurses, that's changed because uh, it is such a difficult, demanding, highly skilled job 
that uh, they they can't they can't hire enough nurses. Have there been illnesses and deaths, if we can reveal that, at each of your institutions because of the coronavirus? Illness and deaths with students and workers and so forth. Yes, there have there has been. How does the community, uh, the school at large, handle that? I mean, I'm sure there are protocols or psychological resources for students to take part in and so forth. Yeah, we're trying to um, offer a trauma-informed program that will help uh, students and, and our staff. And um, and so we're asking the Navajo Nation if they could um, support that effort. And uh, yeah, we, we see that. Uh, right. It, it sounds like one could conclude, Elmer, the coronavirus is getting worse with the new variant and so forth. But what I hear from both of, the, of you is, so what? Because it's getting worse doesn't mean that education has to follow that same path, right? There, yeah, are just, I think mm, there, there are adjustments that can be made. There are things that can be done in spite of the big picture. Yeah, I think you have to really be careful and to, to you know take care of yourself. Um, make sure you wear a mask, social distance. Um, you know, like follow what CDC tells us, as well as the governor of uh, New Mexico. She's done a wonderful job, I think, helping us uh, think through. Um, and um, and I think if people could just um, practice that, I. Th- that that's uh, really going to help, right. and and we have people that they don't want to wear a mask. We don't, don't want to take uh, yeah because they, they 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 feel it's not really going to make a difference. Yeah, meaning if you wear a mask, if you social distance yourself, you can still transmit the virus, or still get it, even if you are vaccinated. The virus is so uh, unknown. There are so many unknown qualities about it right that a mask right. and social distance in some cases doesn't make a difference right so you people know, are hesitant to be, get vaccinated people you know, are hesitant to wear a mask and so right. forth so you know we but have you're saying to, that it, it helps it, it, it helps uh we we try everything that we think will be helpful for example um after thanksgiving We've put our staff um, on a rotating basis. Um, some of them will, for one week, uh, we had some of the staff come in on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. The others came in Tuesday, Thursday. So we would have less people on campus. And so you have to kind of do certain things. You know, things change uh, from day to day. And so we have to um, always um, be ready and try to, uh, decide what might what is best for the institution, and so we always uh, meet once a week. Um, try to figure out okay, how, what do the numbers look like? You know, so we do another numbers, en- en- enrollment numbers. Uh, you know, how many students um, are needing uh, some extra help? What were their grades like at midterm, for example? You know. Um, 
how do we what do we do to to uh, help them uh, stay the course and help them finish and then at the same time you look out for the the safety of our staff and how do we keep them right. safe James the big picture says the coronavirus is getting worse that doesn't mean education has to follow that same path right correct I I'm a I'm a professor. I'm not an epidemiologist, and we're starting to talk about the health side of this. And you know, we read the same news feeds, uh, and you can argue this statistically well, or, that, or that, technically. Yeah. And let's be realistic. I can wear a mask all day and all night. It doesn't mean anything. I can social distance all day. Doesn't mean anything. You can catch this thing whether you have a mask on or not, whether you social distance or not, whether you've been triple vaccinated or not, you could still get it and you can still die. This is really scary stuff. And the best scientists on earth don't have all of these answers. We're kind of trying to figure this out as we go. Every day there's new information. Right, and you're making adjustments and so forth. And this thing yeah. is mutating also. And this is a kind of a scientific biological process. So it, it, it's like trying to hit a bullet with a bullet. There's so much moving on, on either side, but the trends and the numbers do appear to be, you know, tapering down. The latest reports, as I said, the, every Monday morning I get an enrollment report um, to the person of our thousands of students well, we also publish uh, uh, what's happening, and we publish the New Mexico and also the McK McKinley County um, data. You know, what's the rate of infection? What's the rate of hospitalizations? You know, what are the recoveries? What are the deaths? How are the tests uh, coming in? And all of the trend lines are starting to go down. And the numbers that we're experiencing now are similar to what we were experiencing in the very earliest first part of the pandemic, March, April, 2020. So here it is, uh, you know, November, 2021, 600 uh, something days later, and the numbers are the same. The huge peak that we had, it was December, January, December and January. And those are exponentially bigger than what we're experiencing now. Yes, there are many millions of unvaccinated people and there are still thousands of new COVID cases every day, but uh, they're, they're trending down. Final words going forward in education, higher education. Final words. Where do we go from here? Do we keep our eyes and ears open for every single safety precaution we can. Elmer, where do we go from here? I think this, um, the COVID-19 has really been a wake-up call um, for us. Um, and uh, it's stubborn, a stubborn, a stubborn uh, virus. It's not going away. And uh, I'm not, I don't know how long it'll stay but we just have to um, do the best we can, I think, to uh, try to keep ourselves safe. Um, 
it's you know just just like James said, you know, it's, you can still get it. Uh, you know, we're not we're not immune from it. Uh, we just hope that it stays away uh, from our campuses and away from our staff and our students. And uh, we just hope that they uh, practice uh, to the best of their ability any any precautionary or any measures to keep themselves safe and to avoid a large gathering and um, you know to try to try to um, stop the spread right and uh, by the same token do things to maintain an increase enrollment uh, alongside safety precautions and so forth mm-hmm. yeah I, I think uh, with enrollment um, if we can stabilize that that might be a better uh, approach try to keep it uh, at the same level for the next year or two, right. as opposed to just outnumbering, then, yeah, trying, yeah, to trying to yourself, yeah, trying to you know expect a large in- increase. Uh, there are some schools with large increases. Um, I think through um, online delivery, course delivery. Um, uh, I'm not sure how they're doing it, but there are some schools who have increased their enrollment and. And we, we do quite a bit of hybrid uh, classes where it's a combination of face-to-face and uh, online. And uh, that seems to work well for many of our students. Right. James, where do we go from here? We, we know we're in uncharted waters. Where do we go? I, I'm inclined to agree with Elmer. Stabilization might be key stabilize enrollment keep it steady don't go for the huge increases and so forth where do we go we know we have to maintain enrollment we know we have to maintain safety protocols and so forth what do we do now now that we know what we know stability i love the word it's actually a, a strategic factor that we use in our management here We want stability, we're working towards stability in a very unknown, threatening, dangerous external environment. But internally, we can do a lot to keep things stable. We know that uh, enrollments aren't going to be growing. This might be a new reality for us, that we might be at these enrollment levels for 10 years. Think of when uh, the housing bubble burst um, in 2008. It took a decade for all of those things to kind of work out of the system and and for things to bounce back. And there were a lot of new environmental um, issues and and external factors that actually made that happen. We're going to be here for uh, for a while. COVID's here to stay. Um, We're going to get better and better at it. Uh, at, at defeating it and keeping it at bay the same way we did with influenza, right? You know, we get flu shots every year. We get the common cold every year. It, you know, it just becomes uh, more manageable and less deadly, right. less terrifying, and less chaotic. We've been talking with Dr. Elmer Guy, President at Navajo Technical University, based in Crown Point, New Mexico, and James Malm, Chancellor at UNM Gallup, Gallup, New Mexico, KGOP, Gallup News, Bernie Dotson.
Thank you. Thank you.